Ahoy mateys! Welcome to Podcasts of the Caribbean, a podcast covering the world of Pirates of the Caribbean, from the movies, to books, to theme parks, to everything in between. My name is Justin Helmer, and I will be your host on this voyage through the Caribbean. Hello and welcome back to episode 8 of Podcasts of the Caribbean. So we are still making our way through Dead Man's Chest. So if you haven't listened to the previous um, three parts um, of Dead Man's Chest coverage, make sure you go back and listen to those ones so you're caught up um, where we are in the story. So last time we left off, um, right after Will Turner um, escaped the Dutchman with the key um, to the Dead Man's Chest. So right after that happens... Um, we go, of course, he says goodbye to his father, and then we go right over to the Black Pearl. And we have a really great scene here of Norrington, of course, who is swabbing the deck, um, and Jack, Elizabeth, and Gibbs. So Jack um, finds out that Elizabeth has these letters of Mark that are signed by Cutler Beckett. Um, so, you know... Elizabeth says, yes, they're signed. Lord Cutler Beckett of the East India Trading Company. And then Jack's like, blah, and he like <laughs> sticks out his tongue. It's so funny. Um, but then Gibbs says, Will was working for Beckett and never said a word. Beckett wants to compass. Only one reason for that. And then Jack says, of course. He wants a chest. And then Elizabeth's like, yeah, he did say something about a chest. And then Gibbs butts in. And he's like, if the company controls the chest, they controls the sea. And then Jack says, a truly discomforting notion, love. And then Gibbs says, bad. Bad for every mother's son who calls himself pirate. And then he says, I think there's a bit more speed to be coaxed from these sails. Brace the foreyard. And he runs away. So now we're left with just Jack and Elizabeth. And, you know, Jack's like, might I inquire as to how you came by these? Then Elizabeth's like, persuasion. And Jack's like, friendly? And Elizabeth's like, decidedly not. And then Jack says, Will strikes a deal and upholds it with honor, yet you're the one here standing here with the prize. Full pardon, commissioned as a privateer on behalf of England and the East India Trading Company, as if I could be bought for such a low price. So Jack then sticks the letters into his jacket, and Elizabeth demands to have them back, but Jack refuses, and he says, no, persuade me. And then Elizabeth um, says, you know, you know Will taught me how to handle a sword. And then Jack isn't phased, and he just says, as I said, persuade me. So Elizabeth isn't having any any of it, so she just walks away from Jack. And she is on the side of the ship, and Norrington approaches, and he's like, it's a curious thing. There was a time I would have wanted you to look like that when thinking about me. And then Elizabeth um, is kind of angry, and she's like, I don't know what you mean. And then Norrington's like, oh, I think you do. And then Elizabeth's like, oh, don't be absurd. I trust him, that's all. And Norrington starts laughing and starts to walk away. Then he's like, so you never wondered how your latest fiancé ended up on the Flying Dutchman in the first place? And then he just smiles and then walks away, leaving Elizabeth to herself, and then she grabs the compass and opens it up. And where does the compass point? It points to Jack Sparrow. 
and Elizabeth is horrified by this, pretty much, and she just shoves the compass away, and we go back over to the Edinburgh Trader. But before we go back to the Edinburgh Trader, I do want to explain this, because a lot of people take this as um, Elizabeth in love with Jack Sparrow. And now, okay, I get it. Yes, they may have some chemistry, and I get the Sparabeth fandom and the Sparabeth ship, okay? But sure, maybe Elizabeth was attracted to Jack Sparrow, but how I see this scene is it's not pointing to Jack because she's in love with Jack. It's pointing to Jack because she wants to be like Jack. She wants... I mean, it's, you know, in the first movie, too, and in this movie especially, she wants freedom from her restricted life in Port Royal. And Jack is kind of the key to that. You know, if if she adopts the lifestyle of Jack, like a pirate, she can be free. That's what she wants. And she can do what she wants whenever she, needs, whenever she wants to, uh, which is what Jack says to her a little later in the film. But... I think that's why the compass points to Jack. It's not because she's in love with him, as some people take it. It's because she wants to be like him with his lifestyle, to be free, um, to sail the seas, not have to worry about any um, anything. And I, that's how I see that scene. That's how I believe it was supposed to be seen. Um, so... Uh, Sparabeth people, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a Sparabeth fan, I am not a believer in the Sparabeth ship, but um, more power to you. That's how I see that scene. So, moving on over to the Edinburgh Trader. Will has been picked up by the Edinburgh Trader, funnily enough, um, you know, after getting off the Flying Dutchman. So, Bellamy's confused as to why Will was in a longboat so far out in the open sea by himself. Um, so Will's just like, just put as many leagues behind us as you can and as fast as you can. And then Bellamy's like, and what are we running from? And Will then sees in this moment, he sees Elizabeth's wedding dress. So he goes over to it and he's like, that dress, where did you get it? And then Bellamy says, it was found aboard a ship. The crew thought it was a spirit bringing some omen of ill fate. And then Will picks it up, and he's like, that's foolish. And then I love the crew. It's like, oh, yes, exceedingly foolish. And then the one crewmate's like, it brought us good fortune. The spirit told us pull in at Tortuga, and we made a nice bit of profit there. And then Bellamy puts it off the books, of course. And then Will's like, I imagine some of your crew may have jumped ship there. And then Bellamy's like, what do you mean? But... They're interrupted by a crewmate who comes down, and um, he says a ship is approaching. And Bellamy asks, what colors are they flying? And the crewman says, she isn't flying any. And then Bellamy turns to Will and says, pirates. And then Will says, or worse. And then we go right back over to Davy Jones, who, of course, at this point has realized the key is missing. Um, so he clutches the cloth um, in his hand. Um, it's not a hand, it's a tentacle? I don't know. What What really is Davy Jones' like, right hand? Because his, his left arm 
or his left hand is the crab claw. But like, what is his right hand? Is it a tentacle? Is it, I don't know. It's kind of freaky. Um, but so of course, Davy Jones is pissed off that Will has stolen the key and he knows that Bootstrap, of course, did it. So Bootstrap is being held captive and um, he goes up to Bootstrap and he says, you will watch this. And then he then summons something that I bet you've probably been waiting for this whole movie. I've been waiting for this whole movie. It's taken um, an hour and a half to get to this point, but the Dutchman crew starts um, raising the Kraken Hammer, as it's called. Um, I believe that's what it's called. That's what I call it. I call it the Kraken Hammer. And then we have a very iconic little speech from Davy Jones here where he says, Let no joyful voice be heard. Let no man look up at the sky with hope. And let this day be cursed by we who ready to wake the Kraken. And then Bootstrap starts yelling. And then the Kraken Hammer slams down. Um, and then you have that shock wave um, underwater. And, of course, the whole crew, the Edinburgh Trader and Will, are checking out the Dutchman in the distance. They're not sure what's going to happen. Um, so Bellamy is trying to figure out what's going on, but Will has climbed up the mast, and he just says, I've doomed us all. And then he shouts out to everyone, It's the Flying Dutchman! And as soon as he says that, um, the whole ship rocks, everyone falls down. Will almost falls off the mast, but he grabs a rope and um, hauls himself back up. And I love the one crew, the one crewmate. He's like, "Mother carries chickens. What happened?" And then they say, "Must have hit a reef," um, because they had that big shock wave. But it was not a reef, as we will find out. It was the kraken um, grabbing the ship. So Bellamy looks over the side of the ship, and he sees the waters are starting to jostle and move a lot. So, of course, they think the ship is stuck in a reef, so Bellamy then says, free the rudder, hard to port, then hard to starboard. And right after he says that, um, the Kraken tentacle grabs Bellamy and pulls him into the water. And um, one of the crewmen sees it, he points out, and then we see that tentacle rise out of the waves with Bellamy screaming and pulls him right back down to the ocean. And the whole crew at this point is scared to death and they're screaming, Kraken, Kraken, they're ringing the bell. They're all getting weapons and everything. And Will is just overseeing all of this from atop the mast. They're grabbing spears, they're grabbing guns and swords and axes, um, ready to fight this Kraken. But of course, they're not gonna kill it. So the one crew got, the one crewmate um, has Elizabeth's wedding dress, and he says, here it is, take it. So he thinks the Kraken is, you know, another omen of, you know, bad luck that the dress spirit has brought upon them. So he's offering the Kraken the dress, um, but of course, the Kraken doesn't care. Um, so he then drops the dress and tries to run away, but he's pulled, pulled away from the Kraken as well. Um, we have just some fantastic CGI here of the Kraken, and... So, you would probably think that a lot of this was CGI, and of course the Kraken is CGI because the Kraken does not exist, um, but this whole ship set was created in real life, 
and I'm getting ahead of myself in the movie, but when the Kraken does drop its tentacles down and splits the ship in half, that is actually something that was done practically with the actual ship, and then they got these tubes that were emulating the Kraken tentacles, and they dropped them right down on the deck and split the whole ship in two in real life. So it really has the actual accurate way of a ship splitting in half and sinking uh, beneath the waves in two pieces. And I really love that, um, that, you know, they really did that whole ship destruction so, um, so accurately and so, it was so well done. But so the Kraken brings down the main mast and Will then jumps off to the other mast and uses his knife to make his way down the sail and he grabs a rope um, and he's still on this front mast and he's seeing the chaos that is happening below. Um, so the Kraken then starts wrapping its tentacle around the front mast that Will is on and he starts to just try to climb up as fast as he can. Um, and we just see the absolute chaos of all of these crewmen dying and being dragged off by the Kraken. Um, Will is now engaged in a sword fight with the Kraken tentacle and he stabs it with his sword. Um, and then we of course now have the two large tentacles going up into the air um, and we have both of them just coming down onto the deck, breaking everything and right as they impact the deck we have the fantastic, iconic Kraken theme music. The da-na-na, da-na-na, so good. And of course we have the ship breaking in two and being pulled under the waves. And as I said, the ship being destroyed like that was done practically with some tubes breaking through the ship, just like the Kraken tentacles. Um, but this scene is just so awesome because of course the Kraken is a very iconic mythological creature. It's, you know, the legend's been around for hundreds of hundreds of years um, of this giant squid that, you know, some people referred to as a Kraken. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of different versions of the Kraken mythos. You know, a lot of them happen to do with just being a giant squid. You know, just being a giant squid. So like, you know, in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, giant squid, that could also be a Kraken. But, um, but this is an actual Kraken. So I guess it, it is kind of based on a squid. It is like an actual squid, but it's huge. It's absolutely ginormous. Um, so they really took that mythology of this giant squid-like creature and just made it absolutely giant. And, you know, that's the Kraken. It's so iconic. And when you think of the Kraken, you think of Pirates of the Caribbean now, <laughs> which is so awesome as well. But I love this scene. It's just... It's so awesome. It's so well done. The CGI on the Kraken has not aged a day, even though this movie is over 16 years old. The CGI, absolutely flawless. Um, of course, the actual practicality of the ship being destroyed, as I mentioned. Um, everything in this scene is fantastic. The music as well. Um, the music, just the organ music blaring, um, blaring as you know all these crewmen are pulled down into the depths um, and then we see the shot of the one crew crew member um, who is being held by the tentacle and he's dropped right into the opening mouth of the kraken um, and kraken's tentacle finally breaks the mate the front mast that will was um, standing on so that mast goes down to the water and will jumps off and tries to make his escape 
And as soon as he goes into the water, he sees the actual Kraken. You know, of course, you can only see the tentacles from up above. But this is really the only shot, at least in this movie, of the actual Kraken creature. You can see the tail of the Kraken. You can see the the belly of the Kraken and everything. It's so, so awesome. Um, and Will um, gets up to the surface and gets away on a piece of driftwood as the Kraken takes down the rest or what's left of the Edinburgh Trader. Um, but Will is not out of harm's way yet. Um, of course, the Flying Dutchman is nearby, and it's now right behind him, so he jumps off the piece of driftwood and takes refuge in the water. Um, and then we have the shot of, you know, all the the bodies in the water, the, the, um, the debris in the water, and then we see a shot of Elizabeth's wedding dress, um, just floating in the water as well before we go up to Davy Jones. And Davy Jones, of course, is looking for Will because that's he knew he knew Will was on the ship. That's why he sent the Kraken to destroy the ship. Um, he wanted to get back at Bootstrap. So Macus comes up to Davy Jones and he says, The boy's not here. He must have been claimed by the sea. And then we have this fantastic line from Davy Jones where he's like, I am the sea. And then he goes up to Bootstrap Bill, and he says, You need time alone with your thoughts. Brig! And so Bootstrap is then dragged to the brig. Now keep this in mind as well. This is something that I feel like a lot of people completely gloss over. Um, the line where Davy Jones sends Bootstrap to the brig of the Flying Dutchman. Because in At World's End, the next movie, we don't see Bootstrap Bill until we get aboard the Flying Dutchman later in the movie. And where is he? He is in the brig. So make sure you remember that and pay close attention because that's the next time we see Bootstrap is in the brig of the Flying Dutchman. Um, so a lot of people are like, well, why is he there? Why is he in the brig in that world's end? Well, it's because he was sentenced to the brig um, in Dead Man's Chest. And a lot of people just gloss over that little tiny word. It's only one word um, that Jones says here. So you got to make sure not to gloss over that because that actually has a lot of that has the reasoning as to why Bootstrap is in the brig with Elizabeth um, in At World's End in that scene. So of course Bootstrap is absolutely distraught because he believes that Will is dead, um, that the Kraken killed him. Um, but Jones is now looking at the survivors of the Edinburgh Trader um, who have been pulled onto the Flying Dutchman. Um, and they are scared to death. And Will climbs up and looks at what's happening on deck as well. And, you know, E.B. Jones then says the cold-hearted line, there are no survivors. And that scares these these guys to death. And then we have a shot of um, the Dutchman crew members raising axes and just killing all five of these guys. Um, just like that which does it it is hard to watch but um Davy Jones then senses something and Will then makes his way down off the ship again before Davy Jones turns his head cuz Davy Jones sensed something over there at the um bow of the ship so he walks over um trying to see if there's anything there and he doesn't see anything so Will has vanished from his little hiding spot there. 
Um, and then he turns back to Klenico and he says, the chest is no longer safe. Chart a course to Ila Cruces. Get me there first or will be the devil to pay. And then Kalenico is like, first? And then Jones is like, who sent that thieving Charlton onto my ship? Who told him of the key? Jack Sparrow. And then we have a great exterior shot of the Dutchman sailing on the water. And then we see Will, who is climbing into um, the opening in the figurehead on the front of the ship. And then we have a great shot, one of my favorite shots in this movie, of Elizabeth's wedding dress sinking beneath the waves the last time we see the dress um, in this movie. And I love this. So we have the shot of the dress in the water and then it fades over to Elizabeth. And for a split second, you will see Elizabeth on the left side of the screen and the dress on the right side of the screen. So I, I really love this little, I don't know if it was planned this way, but you can see both of them on the screen. That's honestly kind of like, the dress sinking is like the death of Elizabeth's former life. And we are now thrust into her being a pirate. So I, I wonder if that was kind of what that was supposed to be, or if only I really think about it that way. But I think that the, the dress sinking really symbolizes something with Elizabeth's character um, and where she is in this movie. Um, it's kind of the the sinking and the death of her former life that she will no longer be able to go back to um, after what she's done in this movie. So we're then, of course, back on the Black Pearl, and Elizabeth is feeling down on herself, and Jack walks over, of course, and he says, My intuitive sense of the female creature informs me that you are troubled. And then Elizabeth then says, I just thought I'd be married by now. I'm so ready to be married. And then Jack's like, he Jack offers her some rum and then she takes a swig and, you know, Jack is trying to seize his moment here. So he says, you know, Lizzie, <laughs> I love how he calls, he calls her Lizzie and she just like starts backing away from him. He's like, I am captain of a ship and being captain of a ship, I can perform a Mariage, right here, right on this deck, right now. And I love how he gets really up and close and growls that now, and she just like, oh, and she just says, no, thank you. And she just walks away from him. And he follows her. He's like, why not? We are very much alike, you and I, I and you, us. And Elizabeth's like, oh, except for a sense of honor and decency and a moral center and personal hygiene. <laughs> and then I love the shot of Jack just sniffing his, his armpit. <laughs> uh, and then he comes up again. He's like, trifles, you will come over to my side. I know it. And then Elizabeth says, you seem very certain. And Jack's like, one word, love. Curiosity. You long for freedom. You long to do what you want to do because you want it to act on selfish impulse. You want to see what it's like. One day, you won't be able to resist. So I love that little exchange there because that is true of what Elizabeth is wanting at this point in her arc. You know, she does long for freedom and she wants to do whatever she wants to do. And that also kind of goes back to why the compass was pointing to Jack earlier in that scene that we talked about a little um, at the beginning of this podcast 
episode, but that is what Elizabeth wants to do, and that's her new life. She's now a pirate. Um, but Elizabeth then changes the topic of conversation, and she says, "Why does your why doesn't your compass work?" And then Jack's like, "My compass works fine." And then Elizabeth continues, and she's like, "Because you and I are alike." And there will come a moment where you have a chance to show it, to do the right thing. And I love this this line from Jack. He's like, I love those moments. I like to wave at them as they pass by. <laughs> and then Elizabeth comes up again. She's like, you'll have the chance to do something, something courageous. And when you do, you'll discover something, that you're a good man. And then Jack says, all evidence to the contrary. And then Elizabeth says, oh, I have faith in you. Want to know why? And then Jack's like, do tell, dearie. And Elizabeth then says, curiosity. A chance You're going to want it. A chance to be admired and gain the rewards that follow. You won't be able to resist. You're going, want, you're going to want to know what it tastes like. And then Jack is really hyped up in this memory. He's like, I do want to know what it tastes like. Then Elizabeth says, but seeing as you're a good man, I know that you would never put me in a position that compromises my honor. And then as soon as Jack's about to kiss Elizabeth, he looks at his hand and the black spot comes back and he bails out on the kiss, Um, which is exactly what Elizabeth was wanting Jack to do because it proves her point. Um, But then she says, I'm proud of you, Jack. And then Gibbs then shouts, Land ho! And we are now making our way over to Ila Cruz's. But before we get there, Jack Jack is scared because his black spot has returned. And he just says, I want my jar of dirt. And he runs away. And then we have a great scene of Jack, Norrington, Elizabeth, Pintel, and Rigetti in the longboat going over to Ila Cruz's. Um... But I, it's another great moment between Pintail and Rigetti. They really shine in this movie and at World's End. And oh, this I love this moment here. Where they're like, you're pulling too pa- too fast. And then Rigetti's like, you're pulling too slow. And then Rigetti's like, we don't want the Kraken to catch us. And then Pintail's like, I'm saving my strength for when it comes. And I don't think it's pronounced Kraken anyway. I've always heard it said Kraken. And then Rigetti's like, with a long A... And then Pintel's like, ah. And then Rigetti's like, no, 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 no. Kraken's how it's pronounced in the original Scandinavian. And Kraken is closer to that. And then Pintel's like, we ain't Scandinavians, are we? Kraken. And then Rigetti's like, it's a mythological creature. I can call it what I want. <laughs> oh, fantastic moment between them. And they reach the shore. Jack throws his coat in there. And he, we have a great line from Jack as well. I love this too. And he's like, guard the boat, mine the tide. Don't touch my dirt. (laughs) And then we have this great piece of score as well as we have this shot of them, of Elizabeth, Jack, and Norrington walking on the beach here Um, with that. It's kind of like a kind of a play on the East India Trading Company um, score. Or I guess more so, I guess kind of with the East India Trading Company and with the Jack Sparrow score kind of pushed together. Either way, I love it. Um, and I love this shot of a super zoomed out shot of the three of them walking. And then we have 
another zoomed in shot of them walking and then we go with another zoomed in shot of them walking i just love how that's put together um and this um scene that we are at now this part of the scene was shot on the exumas in the caribbean um and funny story about this place they shot the exumas is that for half the day the place that they were shooting this scene on was completely underwater <laughs> which as you can tell is probably something that would put a wrench in your shooting plans when you have a whole day of shooting a movie planned out but they would literally have to shoot what they could let the tide come in let it reset let it um go back and then shoot again so they had this only a opportune window of time to actually shoot what they needed before the water would come and completely cover everything and sink it beneath the waves for literally half the day so it was a hard place to shoot and if you've seen some of the behind the scenes how they shot here they literally had everything on the boat on a boat um a large boat and they would literally um bring all their equipment over in boats um with the cast and everything it was crazy they literally had to lug all their equipment over to this small stretch of land um that really you know no one is really expecting a movie to be shot here you know it's only because of gore seeing this location and wanting to shoot there that they are shooting there but they had to lug all their equipment everything over into boats and come over to this little piece of land called the exumas um and it's just the lengths that they took to go to these specific places is just absolutely mind-boggling to me and it just makes these movies so much better when you look at how devoted everyone was to getting this movie made the way they wanted to make it because like you know going to the gorge that i you know talked about earlier in the isle of pelagostos um that gorge um by the way was also called uh tutu gorge that's the actual name uh, i looked it up but you know they, the only way to get into that gorge was to swim in and swim out there was no other way in and you know also you know with the exumas here they had to bring everything out onto the island in boats all the equipment everything all the talent and everything and it's like all these locations you know that are so hard to get to but when you look at them in the film they just enhance it so much more because like this location is absolutely jaw-droppingly beautiful like if you just look at this you see the absolutely crystal blue water in the background the gorgeous white sand the green foliage and the plant life it's absolutely beautiful and it oh it's so it's it's so it's so great it's so so great but of course elizabeth still has the compass here and she's trying to find the chest um and she is having a rough time the compass is leading her around and jack and narrington are just standing on opposite sides of each other as she's trying to do this and the compass finally stops and it's once again pointing at jack so elizabeth is frustrated and she just uh, sits down on the ground she just like it doesn't work and it certainly doesn't show you what you want most and then jack comes over and the compass is pointing to elizabeth for jack so that does not mean it's pointing to elizabeth it's meaning it's pointing under elizabeth so jack says yes it does you're sitting on it 
and then he ushers Elizabeth to move out of the way and um, brings Norrington over and Norrington starts to dig in that specific location um, and then we have his uh, we flash back to Pintel and Rigetti who are just having the time of their lives <laughs> uh, and Pintel's like guard the boat mind the tide mind if I shine your shoes sir and then I love how Rigetti is balancing the shovel on his on his hand he's like I could join the circus <laughs> it's just the absolute unhinged nature of their scenes so great and then we go back over to the Flying Dutchman and Davy Jones like they are here and I cannot step foot on land again for near, de near of a decade. And then Maccus is like, you'll trust us to act in your stead. And then Jones is like, I'll trust you no awaits you should you fail. And then he shouts, down then. And the whole crew then shouts, down. And then we have an amazing shot of the Flying Dutchman descending beneath the waves. And we just have the water rushing onto the ship. And then we have that shot underwater of everything underwater. It... And then we have the shot of the Flying Dutchman going beneath the waves from Pitel and Rigetti's point of view. So cool. It's the only time we see the Dutchman really go underwater like that. Um, but of course, Pitel and Rigetti are super scared out of their minds. And they just run away from the boat. So they're no longer doing what they were told to do. Um, and then we go back over to Jack Norrington Elizabeth. And I love how as Norrington is digging, Jack is just sitting there meditating. <laughs> It's so great. Um, but then Norrington finally hits metal. Um, so Jack is pulled out of his meditative uh, state. And they all look down and they pull out this giant box from the ground. Um, and they break the lock off and Jack flips it open. And what is inside? A bunch of pieces of paper. A bunch of notes. So... It's very interesting as to these notes here um, because Jack then pulls out the dead man's chest finally under all these notes and you can also see there's flowers in here as well so it's very very interesting to think about that of course Jones put this here so Jones put the chest along with flowers and all of these notes that were probably for Calypso um, and buried everything here so he wouldn't have to deal with any of it ever again but it's really cool and i wish i could see if like what these notes could have said on them of course you know they were just used for production so they wouldn't have actually wrote anything on them but like it's just so interesting to see all this stuff from davy jones's like former life um and the flowers that he probably would have given to calypso and he's buried all of it he buried everything away so he wouldn't have to deal with it anymore um, which is really, really interesting. So, of course, Jack then pulls out the dead man's chest, um, which attracts Elizabeth and Norrington's attention, and they all um, bring their ears close to the chest, and they hear the heartbeat. And Elizabeth's like, it's real. And then Norrington's like, you actually were telling the truth. And Jack's like, I do that quite a lot. Yeah, people are always surprised. And then Will pops up, and he's like, with good reason. And Elizabeth sees him and just runs over to him, and they're just reunited. It's fantastic. They hug, they kiss. It's so good. And Elizabeth's like, you're all right, thank God. I came to find you. And they kiss. It's so good. I love them. Norrington sees this, and he's kind of sad because he was figuring that, you know, since Will wasn't here, 
maybe there was a chance for him and Elizabeth again. Unfortunately not. I feel bad for him. It's all this guy wanted to... Like, just let this guy be happy. Let James Norrington be happy. Uh, feels bad. Um, but Jack is super confused. They're like, how did you get here? Um, because of course, Jack left Will and the Flying Dutchman, never expecting to see him again, pretty much. Um, but Will is like, sea turtles, mate. A pair of them strapped to my feet. And then Jack's like, not so easy, is it? Um, so of course, it's a callback to the first movie, where, you know, when Will asked Gibbs about how did Jack escape the island after he was marooned, you know, he tells him about, you know, he rashed himself a couple of sea turtles, rashed them together, and made a raft. And so Will brings that back here on to Jack. Um, and Will then continues, and he's like, but, but I do owe you thanks, Jack. And then Will's like, and sorry, and Jack's like, you do? And then Will says, after you tricked me onto that ship to square your debt with Jones... And then Elizabeth, like, flips back to Jack, and she's like, what? And then we have, I love how Jack then says, what? He's, like, in a super high-pitched, super high-pitched tone. It's so good. Um, but then Will says, I was reunited with my father. And then Jack's like, oh, well, then you're welcome, then. And then Elizabeth is enraged here, and she's like, everything you said to me, every word was a lie. And then Jack's like, pretty much. Time and tide, love. So Will then reaches the chest with his knife in hand, and Jack's like, Oi, what are you doing? And Will's like, I'm going to kill Jones. And then in this moment, Jack pulls his sword on Will, and he says, I can't let you do that, William. Because if Jones is dead, who's to call his terrible beastie off the hunt, eh? And then... Will then takes this moment to step away from the chest, you know, no, no way to free his father when he's dead. So he, he steps away and then Jack says, now, if you please, the key. And right before Will gives Jack the key, Jack grabs Elizabeth's sword and then says, I keep the promises I make, Jack. I intend to free my father. I hope you're here to see it. And then Norrington pulls out his sword and says, I can't let you do that either. So sorry. And then <laughs> Jack's like, I knew you'd warm up to me eventually. And then Darrington flips his sword over to Jack. And then Jack flips his sword over to Will. And now we are, of course, are at this kind of like Wild West dual showdown with them all having their kind of guns drawn at each other. Um, but Darrington then says, Lord Beckett desires the contents of that chest. I get it. I get my life back. And then Jack says, Ah, the dark side of ambition. And then Norrington says, Oh, I prefer to see it as the promise of redemption. And he um, strikes at Will, and then this begins the three-way sword fight on Ela Cruz's, which is one of my favorite fights in these films. It's so well done having all three of them fighting at the same time, um, and on this beautiful location as well. Um, but they are locked in their fight, and we, um, as they're fighting here, we just hear Elizabeth in the background like, no, stop, no, and then um, as they're running away, Narrington then pushes, uh, well, Jack grabs the key from Will, and then Narrington pushes Will over, and then Elizabeth runs over to him, and Will just says, guard the chest, and then he runs away, and Elizabeth's like, no, 
And then she's like, this is barbaric. This is no way for grown men to, oh, fine. Let's just pull out our swords and start banging away at each other. That's all that, that, that'll solve everything. I've had it. I've had it with wobbly-legged, rum-soaked pirates. And after her outburst, we see in the background how Rigetti is just standing there, not moving, and Pintel is running up to him. Um, and Elizabeth gets down and starts throwing rocks at them. And Pintel reaches Rigetti and is like, well, how'd this go all screwy? And then I love this dialogue from Rigetti. It's like, well, each, ch- each, wants to, each wants to chester himself, don't he? Mr. Norrington, I think, is looking to regain a bit of honor. Old Jack is looking to trade to save his own skin. And Turner there, I think he's trying to settle some unresolved business twixt him and his twas-cursed pirate father. And then Pintel's like, sad. And then I love how in this moment we can just hear Elizabeth in the background still just screaming at them. Um, But Pintel's like, that chest must be worth more than a shiny penny. And then Pintel's uh, Rigetti is like, ooh, terrible temptation. And then Pintel's like, if we was any kind of decent, we'd remove temptation from their path. And so the both of them then begin to run over to grab the chest. And then Elizabeth is still um, throwing her tantrum here. And she's like, enough! And then she kind of like starts pretending that she's about to faint. Of course, harkening back to when she fainted in the first movie. But, like, she's like, oh, oh, the heat. And then she just, like, fake passes out on the ground trying to grab their attention. Uh, But all three of them are not (laughs) giving her any time of day. And they're still locked in their fight. So Elizabeth is just absolutely pissed off. And she just sits back up. um, And we just see Pintel and Rigetti running away with the chest. And then Elizabeth sees them and just goes and runs after them instead. And then we have a great little tracking shot of Will, Jack, and Norrington running through the Exumas here, um, trying to grab the key. So Will grabs it from Jack. um, And in this scene, we can see that they're also in the water here. This is also what I was talking about, how the island would go underwater for literally half the day. You can see how in this part, you know, they're standing pretty much in in kind of like an inch or so of water. Um, and that's because all of this would go underwater, you know, every single day. Um, but Jack grabs the key from Will again, runs off. Um, and Norrington grabs Will and throws him down again and kicks sand in his face and then says, by your leave, Mr. Turner. Um, and in this moment, the Dutchman crew um, surfaces on Ela Cruces and they see that the box is now missing the chest inside. And then we have Jack and Norrington running through the forest, and then they get to the old church. And this is one of my favorite set pieces in these films. This scene has always just, it's always been like living rent-free in my head. I love this location. I love this scene. I love the actual mill here and the church and the cemetery and everything. Oh my, it's so, so awesome. Um, And I'll mention here very quickly about this church that we're seeing. There is a deleted scene that takes place um, once 
Jack Will, or not Jack, not Will, Jack Elizabeth Norrington, Pintel, and Reggetti arrive on Ila Cruz's, uh, and when they're walking through the beach, I'll cover it very quickly here, but as I'll said, I'll, as I said, I'll do some actual episodes on all the deleted scenes. I'm just bringing up the very notable ones. Um, but Norrington sees the church in the distance, and he's like, I didn't expect anybody to be here. And then Elizabeth then says, there isn't. And she tells him about, you know, Ila Cruces, which is apparently this very um, scary place that she's heard about, that, you know, the church came to the island, you know, and what did the church bring with them? They brought disease and death. And she says that the priest had to bury everyone one by one, and then he went mad and hung himself. Um, and then we have a, one of my favorite lines from Norrington, and he says, you know, better mad with the rest of the world than sane alone. Um, but I love that little exposition on Ila Cruz's. I kind of wish they kept at least that part in the film, because it really... You know, when we see it here, we're like, oh, where did this come from? You know, why is this here? Uh, but I think, you know, having that would be really cool. And a little later, when we get inside the church, there is also a deleted scene where we can see the priest's body hanging from the bell um, because he hung himself. Um, but they, of course, cut that out because they cut out the exposition for that payoff. But I kind of wish they kept it in just to kind of have more of the world building for Ila Cruces here and kind of this whole structure they're running to. But I love this scene. So good. Um, Jack and Norrington make their way inside the church. Will is not far behind. And then they start just fighting as they're moving their way up the stairs. Um, of course, Jack is still holding the key. Uh, Norrington trips Jack. And they are still locked in their fight. Norrington grabs the key from Jack and pushes Jack down. And Jack grabs the bell rope and the bell starts ringing and Jack is sent down but as Jack is sent down Will grabs the rope and he's pulled up as Jack is pulled down and he grabs the key right from Norrington and then he says by your leave Mr. Norrington um, and of course the Dutchman crew is reaching the um, the box that the dead man's chest was kept in and they hear the bell uh, tolling in the distance from the church and, of course, they are now making their way there. So Will has now reached the top of the church and is making his way over these um, framework here. And he makes this great jump. And we now have this awesome shot of Will and Norrington fighting on um, this this piece of um, building here. It's just so awesome. I, I just love... I don't know what it is about this scene. It's just this set piece and this fight is just so... I love it so much. I don't know why I love it so much. Um, but we just have great music here as well as they're fighting, um, and they're just making their way um, through this destroyed church, and Jack makes his way up as well and goes over to a beam, and they all um, finally reunite and fight each other again, and they've now made their way over from the church over to the mill part of this building, um, of course, with the water wheel right next door. Um, and if you know the movie, you know the awesome wheel fight is coming up, which is also one of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite fight scenes. Um, but um, they're all fighting on the roof of this mill. And as Will and Jack fight, um, Jack is trying to grab the key from Norrington. Um, and 
they finally finally notice that Jack is there after Jack grabs the key from Norrington, and then both of them start fighting Jack, and then they um, throw his sword off into the distance, and now Jack is disarmed. So Norrington's like, do excuse me while I kill the man who ruined my life, and Will's like, be my guest. And then Jack's like, let us examine that claim a moment, shall we, former Commodore? Who was it? that at the very moment you had a notorious pirate safely behind bars, saw fit to free said pirate, and take your dearly beloved all to himself. Eh? So whose fault is it really that you've ended up a rum pot deckhand what takes orders from pirates? And then Norrington's had enough, and he's like, enough! And he swipes at Jack with his sword. Jack rolls off the roof, jumps off, and um, lands on the ground right next to his sword. Um, kind of ironically. But I love that dialogue exchange because they each have their motives as to why they want the chest. And this fight is like, it's so story driven, which is, is you know, it's kind of rare to actually have fight scenes like this really story driven with each character having a motive for themselves as to why they want the key. Um, but Jack knows what to do. He, he knows how to get Narrington on Will's bad side and how to get Will on Norrington's bad side and how to get them on his bad side. Um, so he, like, Jack possesses the power to, like, to, you know, manipulate these people. And it's it's so cool. But, of course, now Norrington's like, unfortunately, Mr. Turner, he's right! And now Norrington and Will are fighting again. Um, and as they fight, Jack is on the ground and he says, still rooting for you, mate of course calling back to the line from the very first movie where at the, at the end of the movie um, Jack says to Norrington I was rooting for you mate know that um, but as Jack begins to walk away with the key by the way um, he's smiling he's like yeah, I've, I've done it and then as he just trips right into a um, empty grave <laughs> and then he's just like oh and then we have Will and Norrington jumping onto the water wheel and from their combined weight the wheel breaks loose and we now have the wheel beginning to roll away um which is just absolutely fantastic it's unbelievable but it's also just so iconic and of course jack comes right out of the grave at the exact moment for the wheel to just go right over him and pretty much pick him up and now he's stuck in the wheel and I love the the shot of uh, Will and Norrington. They just almost trip over Jack's legs as he's stuck in the wheel. Um, but the key falls off Jack's neck into the wheel. Um, and Will and Norrington just keep fighting. Once Jack's feet hit the ground, he's freed from the wheel. And then he just gets knocked out by one of the inside bars and falls outside. Um, and then we're thrust back over to... Um, Pinto and Rigetti with the dead man's chest, thinking they've got away, um, but they are stopped by Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's ready to teach them a lesson, but her sword was taken by Will, so she is now unarmed. So Pinto and Rigetti drop the chest and pull out their swords, and then I love how Pintel brings back the Elo Puppet line. Um, but as soon as they're about to fight, they see the wheel will and norrington on top and then they see jack running behind it and they're all just completely have bewildered faces um and they just shrug it off and they 
keep um, moving toward Elizabeth, but they are stopped by an axe that plants into the tree, and they turn around, and they see the entire Dutchman crew is now running up to them, um, so Pinto and Rigetti are scared, so they, they just give both of their swords to Elizabeth, um, and they just begin to run away. So now, Pinto and Rigetti grab the chest, and Elizabeth is running behind with their swords, um, and then they're all scared to death, Elizabeth's screaming, um, but the, Pinto and Rigetti accidentally run into a tree and drop the chest, um, so they both make, they all, all three of them make their stand as the Dutchman crew comes in, and Elizabeth um, really kind of steps up with both of the swords that she has there. Um, she really steps up to win this fight. So I want to really quick go into a behind-the-scenes featurette, um, which is the Mastering the Sword, uh, Mastering the Blade, I'm sorry, Mastering the Blade um, featurettes. There's one for Kira Knightley, one for Orlando Bloom, and one for Jack Davenport. Um, but the one for Kira Knightley, there's you know something in there about this scene and how um, Lee Ehrenberg, who played Pintel, um, was talking about how fun it was to do this scene with the swords, um, with um, the two swords and everything. And then he he said, you know, um, you don't mess with Elizabeth Swan, you know. He's, and he says, you know, if you catch her and she has one sword and you have two, you might as well hand yours over. So I, I just I love that how like everyone thought that Elizabeth Swan it's like the best character and I don't know I'm just saying Elizabeth Swan is the main character of these movies I'm gonna say it I'm gonna say it okay I'm saying it Elizabeth Swan's the main character the writers intended her to be the main character she is the main character at least for the first three movies her arc is the biggest arc um, anyway back over to the wheel um, Jack is running beside the wheel sees the key still dangling, and he jumps into the wheel, um, and is now running inside, kind of like a, um, like a hamster wheel, while Will and Narrington fight on top, um, and then all three of them finally make their way inside the wheel, and Will grabs the key from the peg it was stuck on, um, and now all three of them are fighting inside the wheel, so now I'm gonna bring up kind of how this scene was shot, because, of course, you see this scene and you see, you know, these three guys in this wheel fighting and you're like, there's no way this was shot practically. And I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to say, yes, this scene was shot practically and they weren't just fighting in the wheel. They were actually fighting in the wheel as it was turning. I'm not joking about this. If you look at behind the scenes, you will see them inside the wheel. Um and the wheel actually spinning. Um, so they actually had those accurate reactions and the hair going upside down and them going upside down and fighting. It was all completely done practically. Of course, the wheel wasn't just flying down a hill um, unsupervised. No, it was, of course, the wheel was on a track that they had put in, um, in the jungle here. Um, and they had the wheel kind of just go down that one little track and then it would reset it. Um, but the wheel did spin, and all three, Jack Davenport, Orlando Bloom, and Johnny Depp, they are all in this wheel, um, actually fighting as the wheel was spinning around. Um, so it's just so awesome how these things were done practically. Like, you would think today, a scene like this where this wheel is spinning and all three of these guys are inside, oh, you would just, you know, you would shoot them in the wheel, but you would do the spinning and everything in CGI and post-production. But, like, the fact that this whole scene was done practically. 
how the wheel was actually moving and spinning with all of them inside and the camera tracked that movement, you know, stuff like this doesn't get done today, you know? Like, Tom Cruise is kind of keeping the action stuff alive with, you know, his stunts for Mission Impossible and, you know, Top Gun and everything, but, like, you know, stuff like this doesn't happen today. Stuff like this does not happen anymore, you know? And it really just, it brings me back to kind of that, that, um, Gore Verbinski quote where he says, you know, this is the end of an era, you know, stuff like this doesn't get made anymore. You know, there's a reason people stopped making movies like this is because it was too expensive. And now it's even more expensive to do stuff like this. That's why no one does stuff like this. Of course, you'll still get practical stuff done. And it's not like I'm saying that no one shoots practically anymore. Um, but it's like it's big stunts like this that were filmed on location that were filmed like this with a spinning wheel moving with these three high profile actors inside it just doesn't happen like this anymore, you know? Um, but anyway, off the tangent, um, I'm just rambling about the scene. As you can tell, I love this fight. Um, but as they fight, we go right back over to Pintel Rigetti and Elizabeth, who are now fighting the Dutchman crew, and they're doing this awesome um, fight where they are just throwing their swords back and forth. So Pint, uh, Rigetti throws his sword over to Elizabeth, and she has both swords, um, and she throws one over to Pintel, who um, fights one of the Dutchman crew members. And then, you know, Elizabeth then throws a sword over to Rigetti, and he um, hits one. And they're just throwing the swords back and forth. And I just, I love that choreography. And it, that's also in the Mastering the Blade Kira Knightley featurette. If you want to go watch that, it's on YouTube. Um, but, like, you know, it's just all these awesome fight scenes. Like... You know, tell me a movie today that has all these awesome fight scenes. You know, there isn't a movie like this anymore, and that just makes me so sad. But um, the dead man's chest in this moment as, you know, Elizabeth, Pintel, and Rigetti are preoccupied is stolen by Hadris, who, of course, is the Dutchman crew member with the shell head. Um, and then we go right back over to the, the wheel fight, um, where Jack grabs the, the key from Will, and they're still fighting. Still practical, by the way. Um, and Jack jumps up on top. Well, this isn't practical, of course. Jack, Johnny Depp did not actually jump up top and grab a palm tree leaf and fall down, of course. But, you know, Jack then grabs the palm tree leaf, jumps off the wheel, and is now letting Will and Narrington just fly down the hill because Jack has the key. He's gotten what he needs, and he is content with leaving Will and Norrington to potentially certain death. But he sees Hadris um, making his way out of the forest with the chest. So Jack um, bends down and grabs a coconut off of the ground, and he throws it at Hadris, and it's a direct hit, knocks Hadris's head right off his body. Um, and I love this scene with Hadris. And he's like, I need oh, I need oh. He's like, follow my voice, follow my voice. And I love how Jack um, goes to open the chest and we can just see Hadris's um, headless body in the background. And he's like, to the left, no, turn around, go to the right. And then his body just slams into the tree and falls down. And then Hadris is like, no, that's a tree. And then Jack's like, oh, shut it. Um, but Jack then puts the key in the lock on the chest and the pressurized lock it pops open, and Jack opens the chest, and we finally see the heart of Davy Jones beating alive in the chest. 
We have the Davy Jones theme playing in the background. Such a good scene. And Jack pulls out the heart and holds it in his hand. Um, but he's interrupted as he sees Elizabeth Tintel and Reggetti being chased by the Dutchman crew nearby. So Jack shoves the heart in his vest, closes the chest up, and runs away. Um, and Pintel and Reggetti then throw both their swords to Elizabeth, and we have this badass move where Elizabeth flips both swords backwards and stabs both of the guys behind her. So freaking cool. I love her so much. But Pintel and Reggetti then grab the chest and run away, not knowing the heart is gone. Uh, but then we're going back over to the beach where Jack is running back over to um, the boat um, with the heart in in his um, vest here. So he grabs the jar of dirt and he um, takes some of the dirt out and throws the heart inside the dirt and throws more of the dirt back inside to kind of hide it in there. And that makes me wonder, you know, since the heart is still alive... With all this sand and everything getting inside the heart, do you think Davy Jones is just on the Flying Dutchman, like, just starting to cough? He's like, <coughs> like, he's just starting to cough because there's this sand all over his heart. I would just, that would be so funny if that was actually what was happening. I wish we could see if he was just coughing up a storm on the Flying Dutchman. Uh, but Kalenico, um surprises Jack, um, and Jack grabs an oar out of the boat and starts fighting Kalenico. Um, and then we go, we have a shot that goes right over to Elizabeth Pintel and Reggetti, who are making their way back to the boat. Um, and I love how Pintel and Reggetti use the chest to fight off, um, the Dutchman crew because Elizabeth still has both of their swords. And then we have this awesome shot of the wheel spinning and we have these great reactions from Orlando Bloom and Jack Davenport as they just fly down the hill. Um, and they make their way back to the beach. So everyone's back on the beach into the water and that I love how um, right when Elizabeth is cornered by like 10 crew members, um, the wheel just comes in and just flattens all of them. Um, and everyone's just super bewildered and they all just stop. Everyone stops. And they just look at the wheel just going and falling down in the water. Um, and then Will and Norrington finally <laughs> emerge out of the wheel. Um, and they are just absolutely destroyed. Like... They must be so dazed. Um, but Will is like... Will then said he's Will sees everyone in the distance and he's like, right. And then he starts walking and just falls down. <laughs> and then Narrington's actually doing... He's faring very, uh, very much better than Will. Will is just completely dazed and just keeps falling in the water. But Narrington just runs and he is having no trouble at all. He makes his way over to the boat and grabs the letters of Mark from Jack's jacket. Um, and then he sees the sand all over the seat in the boat and the jar and the jar of dirt. Um, so he then notices that something's a little off. Um, so we don't see it happen. But Narrington then, of course, opens the jar of dirt, grabs the heart um, from the jar, takes it. Um, it doesn't tell anyone. So Pintel and Reggetti are still fighting the Dutchman crew with the chest. They come over and throw it in the boat um, as Narrington runs away with the heart. Um, and as they're trying to push the boat out, Will stops them and points his sword at them. And they go to grab their swords, but they realize Elizabeth has both of theirs. So I love how they just grab stuff from the boat. Like, Pintel just grabs a net and Reggetti grabs an oar. And they're like, come on, Turner! 
And then Will notices the chest in the boat, and he is completely preoccupied with that. And he goes to open the chest, um, but Jack turns around, sees Will with the chest, and just goes and knocks Will out with the oar <laughs> in his hands. And Elizabeth immediately turns around, like she has like Will Turner is in danger senses, and she runs over to him. And then Jack's like, he's alive, unless you plan on using him to f hit something with. And then Norrington's like, we're not getting out of this. And then he says, not with, not with the chest. So Elizabeth then says, you're mad. And Norrington grabs the chest and he says, don't wait for me. And then he runs away um, with the chest in hand to let everyone escape. Uh, and then I love how Jack's like, I say we respect his final wish. And everyone's like, I, and they go back into the boat. And Norrington is... Um, running through the jungle, falls down, drops the chest, and as soon as he's about to grab it, um, Hadris steps on his sword, um, head in hand, and he says, Ah, your bravery is wasted. I shall pry the chest away from your cold, dead hands. Then I love this moment where they're all just looking at each other, and Norrington's just like, Here you go, and he just gives Hadris the chest and runs away. Um, and everyone just starts laughing. Um, and I love how Hadris's body starts to just walk away with the chest and then just leaves his head and he's like, oh, pirates. And then we have Hadris morphing into a crab um, and he just goes after them. So a little unsettling as well. But of course, Norrington didn't leave the heart in the chest. He has the heart. That's why he didn't care about giving them the chest back. Um, but then we're thrust right back over to the Black Pearl, but that is where we will stop today. Next week, we will finish Dead Man's Chest. We have an absolutely fantastic 20 minutes left in the movie that is absolutely just so, so good. If you know what's coming up, you know it's going to be a good episode next week, so stay tuned. Make sure you're here. Um, for that episode next week where we wrap up Dead Man's Chest. And then after that, um, we're going to be starting At World's End. We're getting through the, the main trilogy here. So as I'm saying this, um, so I'll quickly just update um, and say what I'm going to be doing um, after I get the first three movies done. So my plan was, um, my original plan with this podcast was to just cover all five movies immediately just do all five movies first and then i'll break into the expanded material but um i kind of want to put in some expanded material and then go back to the movies so i was thinking more so after we finish our world's end with the main trilogy done then we'll break into some expanded material like the jack sparrow novels um the price of freedom book um you know the the brethren court book series as well of course we won't do all of that before we go to on stranger tides and dead men tell no tales but of course we'll put some of that in um and then we'll go back and forth so we kind of have you know a, a nice mix of content so it's not just the movie review um going up for the next few months um so after our world's end we'll delve into a bit more of the expanded material we'll probably do one or two of the jack sparrow books um and then maybe some of the comics that were very important or some other stuff as well. Um, but I have just actually bought all of the Young Jack Sparrow books for the first time. 
Um, you would think that me running this podcast, being this Pirates of the Caribbean fan, that I would have read the Young Jack Sparrow novels. I have not. I have not read any of them, um, but I do have two of them on my shelf. I have the second book and the third book, um, but I don't have the first book, so I can't read the second book and not read the first book. So I went and bought all of the missing books from the series, you know, all the main Jack Sparrow books, and then the spinoff one with, you know, the tale of, B of Billy Turner and other stories. I bought all of those. They'll be arriving next week. Um, and then, of course, after we finish At World's End, we'll uh, maybe start with some Young Jack Sparrow books as well. Um, and they'll, they'll probably be just one episode per book because they're pretty short books as well. Um, but that's what we have to look forward to in the near future. Uh, make sure you are listening next week for the finale of Dead Man's Chest. Um, but yeah, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, if you've enjoyed this whole podcast so far, thank you for listening up to this point. Um, and make sure to leave a review or a rating uh, wherever you're listening. Um, and I just, I'm, thank you for listening. You know, it means a lot that people are actually listening to me ramble about Pirates of the Caribbean uh, because this is what I love so much. I love this so much and I want to share my love with, you know, a lot of people that may not be so into it or maybe they are fans. Maybe they haven't picked up on some of these things, but, you know, there's so much stuff to just take away from these movies. Um, and, you know, even me trying to cover these with a fine tooth comb, there is still so much, so many parallels and callbacks that I'm honestly just forgetting. And I look, I look at stuff on social media. I'm like, oh, I completely, for completely missed that. You know, like every time you watch these movies, you'll get an, you'll learn something new with like a, with a new callback or a new piece of foreshadowing or, you know, something like that, or like a parallel. You know, like these movies are so massive. There's so much stuff going on. There's so much to decipher. So if you're enjoying this podcast, go and watch the movies yourself if you haven't already. Go watch the movies, see if there's anything else you can find that I haven't covered. Because uh, I know that I, there is a lot more that I haven't covered. Um, even though I'm trying to do my best and get everything that I can remember. Um, but yeah. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me. Uh, but I'll see you next week for the finale of Dead Man's Chest. Podcast of the Caribbean is in no way affiliated with Disney. If you want to send me an email or a question, send it over to podcastofthecaribbean at gmail.com. If you have some reviews or things you want to say, go ahead and email them over and then I'll read them on the podcast. So if you want to, if you want to send me something, if you want to ask me a question, send me an email. I'll read it on the podcast and give you an answer. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at podcast POTC and on Instagram at podcast of the Caribbean. Uh, I post some fun content and trivia over there. Make sure you go give it a follow. Um, be sure to keep a weather eye on the horizon and always remember dead men tell no tales. No tales.